with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you, because you hold me in your heart, for all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full of insight to help you to determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this morning, I want to start by taking you back in time just a few years uh, to my very first day here at Greenfield in the office. I walked into my office for the first time, and there on the back of my desk chair was this sweatshirt from the transition team. And on the back, I don't know if you all can read this from where you're sitting, it says, be careful or you could end up in my sermon. And honestly, that's uh, really good advice. Uh, We preachers see sermon material everywhere. Uh, So be careful what you say in my presence. Um, Now, truth be told, I would never share anything you said uh, without first getting your permission. But that being said, I also see the possibility for sermons all over the place, that the things you say, the things you do... They sometimes inspire sermon illustrations, whole sermons, and in this case, an entire uh, sermon series. That inspiration uh, took place over a year ago now, out there in the multipurpose room, during an inquirer's gathering in the summer of 2022. And as I began that inquirer's gathering, I asked the question of, I wanted them to introduce themselves. And one of the ways I have that group introduce themselves whenever I do an inquirer's gathering is for them to state what brings you to Greenfield. And this group was particularly candid. They said uh, more things than I expected them to say. And I don't want to give too much away this morning because you're going to get to hear from a couple of those folks in just a couple weeks. And I think it's better for you to hear it from them and not from me. I think their stories are very uh, profound. But let me suffice it to say for now that people talked about finding love and inclusion and welcome here at Greenfield that Uh, They were particularly drawn to the fact that this is a congregation that emphasizes mission and making the world a better place around us. And Greenfield was even described as a unicorn. And I'm not going to explain that any further this morning. Uh, I'm just going to let that be a preview of coming attractions. So that's your inspiration to keep on coming back over the course of this uh, stewardship series. But these are the things that draw people to Greenfield. This is why people cross the threshold of the the church doorway. This is why people have stayed. They find this to be a meaningful place. And following that inquirer's gathering, the word that stuck in my head was the word legacy. I I couldn't stop thinking about that word legacy. I, I would go to sleep at night, I'd be thinking about it. No matter where I went, I thought about this word legacy. And that's a word that maybe all of us have some assumptions about, some associations with. If you're a sports fan, you, you think about the, the legacy a particular athlete leaves on the game, or certain colleges and universities have what's known as legacy admissions. 
That is somebody who, who has family members who went to that school, uh, their admissions application is treated with a little more careful, and, they, and they're, they're welcomed in a little bit easier. But I think for most of us, when we think about the word legacy, we think about what is it we're leaving behind after we're gone? That is, who's written into my will? How are my possessions divvied up? Uh, who gets my estate? Who gets my liquid assets in my bank account? Thank you, Bill. Now, certainly, huh? Oh, yeah. I know, I, I laugh at that one, too. I think about my legacy, who gets my student loan debt after I'm gone, right? Um, yeah, some orange juice, right? Um, but I think legacy is not only this thinking about what goes on after we're gone, but legacy is also, the, it just simply means impact. What is the impact that we have? And so legacy is not just something about when we're gone, it's also about the impact that we're having in the here and now. And I think that this is an especially important question for us to ask in this time and place where uh, religion in general and Christianity in particular is on the decline. That we live in what's described as a post-Christian society, which simply means that the Christian faith can no longer be decided or described as normative for every person. People don't simply go to church anymore just because that's what you do on a Sunday. People need to have a reason to be here. And I remember uh, when I was in seminary, someone said the most important question that anybody can, or any church can ask is if you closed your doors tomorrow, who in your community would miss you? If you close your doors tomorrow, who in your community would miss you? That, I think, is the most important question any church, and Greenfield especially, can ask, because it's a question of what's our legacy? What's our impact? You know, we're not just here because 75 years ago, someone chartered a congregation here at the corner of Oxford and Greenfield in Berkeley, not just here because there needs to be a church here. We're here because we want to make an impact. And that continues on. That's why I've called this a living legacy. It's an impact that we continue to have on the world around us. The time to think about our legacy is not thinking about what happens when we're gone. It's about thinking about it in the here and now. Because as we have those conversations about our legacy, the impact we have on the world around us, on one another, it influences, it changes what we do in the present. I remember uh, several years ago reading the biography Tuesdays with Maury. And I know that's an incredibly popular biography. A lot of you probably have read it. Uh, but if you haven't, the basic premise is that it's the recorded conversations between uh, the sports journalist Mitch Albom and his one-time sociology professor, Maury Schwartz. And what brings them back together after all of those years apart is the fact that Maury is diagnosed with ALS, with Lou Gehrig's disease. It's a horrible diagnosis. But what makes the book so compelling is that Maury handles this with incredible grace and humor and a, a sense of humanity. And early on in the book, uh, Maury's uh, illness has progressed rather far, and he ends up at the funeral of a, a colleague who died unexpectedly, and, and he comes home rather depressed. And he's depressed not because funerals are normally depressing anyway, but he comes home and he says that they said all of those nice things about him, but he wasn't there to hear them. And so Maury decides to have a living funeral. And so while he's still alive, on a cold Sunday afternoon, he invites over all of the uh, select group of friends and family, and they they share their remembrances of him. 
And there's a part of me that's a little bit jealous of Maury, maybe because my love language is words of affirmation and a living funeral sounds rather nice to me. But here he is, sitting and hearing, getting to hear all of the the impact that he has on people around him. And I think at the end of the day, what, what matters for Maury is not how much he works, but it's about these relationships. It's about community. It's about connection. It's about how there's been love shown and love given, how people have poured into his life and how he's poured into theirs. That's what matters at the end of the day, community, connection, how we've had an impact on each other. And these are the things that Paul voices to the Philippian congregation, community, love, impact. Now, it's important to remember that Paul wrote or founded a lot of churches throughout the ancient Mediterranean world. Um, And I think that Paul was above everything else. He was a pastor, which means he had this ability to love all of his congregations, especially in those moments when they were not their best selves. And a lot of the congregations that Paul served were rather dysfunctional. So you have the Corinthian congregation who was always fighting and arguing about who's got the best seat around the communion table, who gets to stand on the stairs when they gather around the communion table. Always fighting, always arguing. You got the the Galatian congregation who forgets the most important part of the gospel message, that it's about inclusion and welcome, that everybody is is welcome whether you're Jew or Gentile, no matter who you are or where you come from. I'm sure that Paul sometimes felt like a parent dealing with bickering children, children who wanted to take the toy that they hadn't thought about in years, but because their younger sibling was playing with it, they wanted it back. Maybe that happened yesterday among my children. But as we parents know, we still love our children even when they're not their best selves, even when they're fighting and bickering and arguing. Paul loved all of his congregations, but I think he was particularly fond of the Philippian congregation. To be sure, the Philippians were not perfect. There is no such thing as a perfect church. Sorry to burst your bubble about that. Um, But more than the other congregations that Paul served, it seemed like the Philippians understood the gospel message. That this was a congregation that was exceedingly generous, committed to the gospel that Paul had taught them. Now, they certainly weren't the largest, the wealthiest, or the smartest congregation that Paul served. In fact, they were quite poor. There's a a story that Paul recounts in his letter to, uh, his second letter to the Corinthians. Uh, Paul is on this sort of mission endeavor trying to collect offerings for the mother church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem has fallen on hard times, and so he's going around to all of these congregations that he's been associated with, asking if they can contribute to this collection to help alleviate their suffering. But he doesn't tell the Philippians about this because he knows the Philippians, too, are struggling financially. They're not sure how they're going to make ends meet. They don't know how they're going to keep the lights on. So he doesn't tell the Philippians. Well, the Philippians find out what Paul is doing, and they say, Paul, why didn't you tell us? We want to participate. We want to contribute. They don't care about the budget or anything like that. This is just the sort of church that they are. If there's a need somewhere in the world, they're going to participate. They're going to contribute. This is who they are. They're just an exceedingly generous congregation. That what we might see as scarcity, see as God's abundance for them. 
And that abundance is always meant to be shared with others. And this is what Paul names about them in this opening chapter, that their love overflows from them. And Paul's not just blowing smoke here. Paul has experienced this firsthand, the generosity, the love, the care of the Philippian congregation. Philippians is what's known as one of the prison epistles, which is just simply a way of saying one of the letters that Paul writes while he's in prison. Uh, We don't know the exact circumstances of why he's in prison, but he's likely in prison somewhere in Rome uh, for preaching the gospel. And the thing to keep in mind about the Roman legal system is that Romans did not feed their prisoners. Prisoners were totally reliant upon the humanitarian efforts of others. And so what did the Philippians do when they find out their founding pastor is in prison? They send Paul donations. They gather up DoorDash gift cards. They send uh, home-cooked meals. They put money in his commissary account. And they send a man named Epiphan. I can't even say his name. He's some Greek name. Send a friend to take care of him. This is what the Philippians do. This, and so what Philippians really is, is it is Paul's thank you letter to them. And we've all been in Paul's position in one way or another. We have been in the position of him soliciting donations, being the ones who are in the position who can offer help. But we've also been in that position of the ones needing help and needing care. And we also know how much easier it is to be the one in the position of giving the care than it is to receive that care. It is so much easier to be the one who buys a DoorDash gift card, who brings the meal, who makes the phone call, who does the hospital visit, than it is to be the one who receives the meal, who receives the phone call, who receives the visit. It is hard to receive care. It takes a certain level of humility to receive care. And we even kind of see this from Paul later on in the letter that when he finally gets around to thanking the Philippians directly in chapter 4, after he gets done with all of his long-winded theology, he says, I've learned to be content in all circumstances, but I thank you nevertheless. It makes Paul look maybe just a little bit arrogant and ungrateful. A little bit, yeah. But I think it also reveals a situation that we all find ourselves in. It is hard to be the one who receives care. And yet, this is what makes community work. That there are some who are in the position from time to time who are able to offer love and care, and there are others who are in the position of needing care. And this is really where stewardship begins. This question of what is mine to give, it begins first with realizing, understanding that we have received much. Stewardship begins first with understanding that we have received a lot, namely from God, and that is what moves us into this attitude, this place of giving. You might notice this morning that there are trees all over the place, uh, and I think trees are a really good metaphor for stewardship and for community because trees often grow up around each other in like forests and they often, we plant them in our yards one by one, but naturally they grow up around each other. And this is especially true of the giant redwood trees in California. Uh, redwood trees are known for their longevity and also their incredible height. So they can uh, live to be several hundred years old. They can also grow up 
high as 350 feet. And you would think with a tree that old and that tall that they would have some pretty deep roots to sustain themselves, right? Well, in fact, their roots only go down about five or six feet. What sustains them is not the depth of their roots, but the fact that their roots spread out hundreds of feet, and they grow up together in groves, and they intertwine with one another. They support each other. In moments, you can imagine during droughts, one tree can supply nutrients for another. One holds another up during a strong wind. That's what community looks like. Sometimes we are the ones who are in a position to offer care and love and support, and other times we are in need of receiving it. And so as we begin this stewardship series together, uh, Commitment Sunday is still a few weeks away. You have a chance to consider what is yours to give. But begin first with this question of what have I received from this community? What is the impact that this community has had on me? Think about that first person who invited you to Greenfield and said, why don't you come to Greenfield? It's this really special place. Maybe come to the 11 o'clock first. The 9 o'clock is a little touchy-feely and takes a little getting used to. Think about the first person who walked up to you after service and said, why don't you come downstairs for coffee hour and join us? Think about that time where you lost somebody you loved or had an illness or were just facing a difficult time and you were on the prayer list and this community prayed for you. Think about when the, the meal train showed up at your door. I know for Heather and I, we think a lot about those first couple of months we lived here. And we were living in a hotel. We waited to try and find the house we, we wanted. And, and it seemed like every day, and it was quite literally every day, there was either a DoorDash gift card or a home-cooked meal waiting for us. Think about that person who let you cry on their shoulder to let the, all that emotion out. Think about how this community held on to one another and supported each other through the darkest days of the pandemic. Stewardship begins always with this question of what have I received? And our giving always arises from understanding that we have received much, that we have received overflowing love and grace that has come from God and found its way through this community to each and every one of us. So here's what we're going to do throughout this stewardship series. Um, you all hopefully got leaves when you came in. If you didn't, um, raise your hand. I'll bring one to you. At the end of every sermon in this series, there's going to be a question for you to reflect on and uh, to write your answer on the leaf. And uh, we're going to build this tree over the course of the stewardship campaign. So start first this morning, Doug, if you want to bring that question up. Start first with this question. You're going to have a few minutes to answer this. Now, when you're done with that, when the offering plate comes by, you can just drop it in there, and uh, some folks are going to magically make those leaves appear on the tree. When have you felt cared for at Greenfield? Take some time to answer that question, and then later on when the offering plate comes by, you can go ahead and throw that in. Thanks be to God. Amen.
keep on working on those questions if you're not done. Uh, I, wanna do I do want to highlight some of our opportunities this week. Uh, we are continuing to collect college care donations for our college students. So college students love gift cards. Everybody loves gift cards these days, right? So um, if you would like to contribute to that, the last Sunday for that is October 22nd. Uh, also, if you have a college student in your life whose address we don't have or has not been updated, please make that update to the church office. Um, there is also a planned giving seminar on October 22nd at 5 p.m. downstairs in Fellowship Hall. Uh, this is to help anyone who's been working through their will or how, what they want to leave behind, what their legacy might be, and that's a hard thing to do on your own. So uh, Steve Kaiser from the Presbyterian Foundation will be here to help us with that as well as us, for us to consider what charitable giving might look like uh, with our wills. So uh, please check that out if you're interested in that. Uh, stage Soup and Salad is coming up on November 12th at 6 o'clock over at Cana. Uh, this is to support Stage's summer mission work for both middle school and high school students. Tickets are $12 for adults, $6 for kids 3 to 10. So, And all of the purchasing of tickets is done online. Uh, so... Check that, that link out in the weekly update and in the newsletter. And then if you need help logging on, of course, with anything that's online, if you need help logging in, call the church office. And Judy will be more than happy to help sign you up. <laughs> I'm volunteering her for that. Um, Forgotten Harvest is October 25th from 9 until noon. So if you're interested in joining the mission committee with uh, helping to hand out food at the warehouse, uh, please talk to uh, Marilyn Kosk. Is it Marilyn or is it just Dave Keener? We're supposed to contact Dave Keener directly? Okay. All right. Uh, also, there's an Understanding Alzheimer's and Dementia Potluck and Program on November 16th at 6.15. Um, Paula, can they talk to you if they have questions? Yep. Uh, talk to Paula if you have questions about that. Of course, over the last few years, we've had a mission component of our stewardship campaign. This year, we're collecting items for the Welcome In. Um, I asked Ben what sort of things he needed, and he said uh, that they needed... Long thermal underwear for men in XL, double XL, and triple XL. And then uh, there are also, uh, there's a coat downstairs that you can purchase parts of, because coats are expensive. Um, so you can like purchase the arm, the, the hood, or whatever. I don't even know what, I'll wear all the parts for it. Oh gosh, huh? a zipper. A cuff, a yeah. cuff. <laughs> One individual zipper thing. Like you can, part, you can contribute towards the, the cost of the coat if you'd like to participate in that. Um, also, our new Social Justice Committee is having its inaugural Lunch and Learn on Saturday, November 4th from 12 until 1.30. So we're going to try to do this once a quarter where we have uh, somebody come in from outside the church, talks to us about a social justice uh, issue and ways that we might participate. So this first one is going to be from the Detroit Black Food Security Network and the Detroit Black Farmers Land Fund. Um, so these are ways that the community is... Uh, communities in Detroit are working to address food insecurity with a sense of sovereignty and the community taking charge of it itself. Um, over the summer, I was on the mission trip uh, to Chicago, and I participated in one of these black-owned farms, and it was an incredibly moving experience for me. So um, I would highly encourage all of you to be there. It's a chance to learn something. It's also a chance to get a free lunch on a Saturday as well. So um, please check that out. Keep that on your calendars. Also, be aware of the holiday food pounding that's ongoing through November 12th. And, Diane, you wanted to say something. Yes. Brief. Just kidding. <laughs> Just oh. kidding. But don't, I mean, don't give a second sermon. Can you guys hear me okay? Good. Okay. I just wrote it. Fresh off the press. 
Oh, what a night. November 9th. Yes, that's the night of the Wealth Men fundraiser, an exclusive performance of Jersey Boys, featuring songs of Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons. Walk Like a Man or a Woman, and buy tickets from either Marilyn, me, or Beth Krabs will have them for the second service. These famous songs of the Four Seasons are sure to get under your skin, and you're not going to be able to take your eyes off the stage. You like it? I know, I know. So let's hang on until November 9th. Donna, Donna doesn't like it. And if you, <laughs> and if you miss it, bye-bye, baby, goodbye. And remember, big girls don't cry. Oh, yes, they do. Neither do boys. <laughs> Neither do boys. So I have tickets. Uh, tickets are $25. It all goes to the Welcome Men. It is an exclusive performance. It's not dress rehearsal. We have the whole theater. So take a handful of tickets. Sell them to your pals. It's going to be a fabulous production. Thank you. That was really good, Diane. I appreciate it. It was very clever. <laughs> well, thank you. Did ChatGPT write that for you? No. Oh. <laughs> thank you. Father, as we lay before you our offering, we give you all that we are. And everything that we give is to share with our brothers and sisters. Please bless these gifts offered in your name. Amen. Just who we are. 
Let your faith be your guide. Remember our Savior's love. He is always at your side. Remember those pioneers and the hardships on their trail. Remember to walk Friends, this is the joyful feast of the people of God. At this table, we are practicing and we are anticipating the great day that's coming for our world, a day where people will come from north and south and east and west and everywhere in between, those who look and act like us and so many more who don't. And we will all gather together at table in the kingdom of God. According to Luke, when our risen Lord was at table with his disciples, he took a piece of bread, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Friends, this is indeed Christ's table. It's not me. It's not Greenfield Presbyterian Church. It's not the Presbytery of Detroit. It's not even our denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA, that invites you here. It is Christ. And Christ has made a place for all and includes all in the feast which he has prepared. And so because this is Christ's table and you are invited by him, all of you are invited to come forward, to gather around the table, to make a circle, and as you do that, please share the sign of Christ's peace. Let's try and uh, make this a closed circle here. I, I wore deodorant today. I double checked, so you're good. Come on in. You're, you might not make it. Oh. Huh? Uh, I guess I should have said it. it can be anonymous. If your name's on it, that's okay too. Well, how am I going to? Well, now we. <laughs> you put an alias? All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Lord's Table. Um, as we embark on this Stewardship Month together and we consider that question of what is ours to give, uh, we, of course, reflect on what we've received. And there's no better place to reflect on that than as we come to this table where we receive God's grace and love and mercy in abundance. We receive that grace and mercy through these signs and symbols of the bread and the cup. So as we prepare to receive that goodness of God, 
overflowing into our lives. Let us pray together as Christ taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. On the last night of his life, our Lord Jesus Christ sat together with his disciples in the upper room, celebrating a meal of God's redemption and God's liberation. And during the meal, he took a piece of bread, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. As often as you eat bread, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and pouring into it, he said, This is the cup of the new covenant, the new relationship with God made possible by the shedding of my blood. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the saving death of our risen Lord until he comes again. And you all know what's coming next. Nothing if not consistent, right? I invite you, I encourage you to remember what I always invite and encourage you to remember at this table. This is a place of abundance, a place of more than enough. There's more than enough bread, there's more than enough juice, there's more than enough love and grace, there's more than enough room for you around this table. We did close the circle, but if there was someone who was wanting to join in, we would open the circle wider and make sure that they too had their place because there is space for everyone here. And so as we prepare to receive these elements, uh, just a reminder of the easiest way to do this, um, I'll pass the bread and then the juice. We're going to hold... Bread is very... Uh, you know, it, listen, it's worse at the 11 o'clock when you have the trays and they all just crash down. Um, it happened on Easter, too. It was a whole mess. Anyway, um, we'll pass the bread around uh, and the juice. Hold on to those elements. We'll receive them together. Uh, the easiest way is to pass it to the person next to you and then take the bread and the juice. Uh, there's no reason to try and juggle and balance all of it, make it easy on yourself. Um, but all has been made ready. All that's missing is you. Pooh! 